Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, Mick read The Knitting Diaries by Debbie McComer and Susan Mallory, and I read Bones of Betrayal by Jefferson Bass. Welcome to Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. My name is Meg Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are back here again for probably our, our most marathon episode, if I can predict. This one's looking like it's going to go all night long. It's going to be a really long episode. I think we both have a ton of things to say. Definitely about a our ton of notes yeah. for both of us. I didn't take any notes. Mine goes for an entire page on one of them and then uh, a quarter of a page on the rest. So. I just didn't even... I don't. I didn't even get a notebook out for this one. Really fell through. Turns out that when you use the uh, the school's library, despite the the bad plot summaries and the covers or whatever, King Jaguar from last episode wasn't that bad. Not that bad of a of a book about the CIA, despite its use of the word primitive man or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now a little free library up our street. Not that bad. Not that bad. Not that bad. Yeah, Jefferson Bass's Bones of Betrayal, pretty good. Uh, I actually yeah, kind of liked it. So I guess I, I should just instead ask you, like, well, how are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling pretty okay. Got some, uh, got some allergies going mm. on. Um, we've got a really cute baby. Really cute baby, but that's Three not an audio day weekend. Medium, so. That was fun to just get to, you know, hang out with family wow. and the I, baby. It's And it was such a nice three-day weekend, too. It's been such pleasant weather here. I know it's hot other places, but it's been such nice weather Got here. Got the windows open. Got the windows open. There's a nice old wind coming through those windows. But uh, uh, unfortunately, dude, like as we found out with your allergies, the reason for the sneezing season is this pleasing breezing. <laughs> So that's the trouble is all this. This wind is blowing allergens right up your nostrils. Right, right up, up my noggin. Right into your noggin. Right up my noggin. All right. We ha- we can't keep having this argument. This is like the, uh, this, we can't, it can't happen. Mick thinks that the word noggin refers to your head, which everyone knows that the word noggin refers to your nose. No, it doesn't. And everyone you've ever asked, including your own parents about this subject, have told you, no, Susan, that's wrong. It's your head. And yet... No, it's your nose. You bumped your noggin. What? No. And also, what is the the word for one of those hairy, hard fruits from a tropical island that falls and then floats? You got to crack it open. A coconut. You mean a coconut? A coconut. It's not coconut. That is, it objectively is coconut. It is spelled C-O-C-O-N-U-T. Co-co-nut. Through coconut. is spelled T-H-R-O-U-G-H, and we say through. Coconut. It doesn't matter how it's spelled. It's coconut. No, it's not. It's coconut. Coconut. Do you think? And if a coconut falls and hits you in the head, it objectively does not hit you on the noggin. Unless it hits your nose. That's your noggin. I do appreciate that we're almost assuredly going to... This is going to be like a Punnett square of uh, our audience, except the fact that noggin being your nose is going to be accepted by 0%, and the rest will be split amongst the three options. I I think there's at least one person out there that knows the truth about noggin. You mean noggin's the truth, am I right? 
Do you think that I can make a million dollars by Don Drapering my way into a meeting with like a, a balls shaving uh, company and suggest that they demonstrate it by shaving a coconut and be like good for your coconuts? I just really, at some point in my life, I just wish that I could know how your brain works. Well, coconuts are hairy. No, I I understand. I just like it would be a little terrifying, but I think very enlightening to just get to experience the pinball machine that is your brain. It's more like a gachapon where uh, you just put some coins in. And every once in a while, something falls out, but instead of having to put coins in, it was just like clunk and it fell out. Like, yeah. don't expect any rhyme or reason to the to the thoughts that come out of this head. Well, you were pretty good at rhyming earlier when you were talking about the. Pleasing, breezing, season, sneezing. I was. Don't forget about reason. 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 Anyway. Speaking of reason, let me tell you the reason why this episode needed a longer intro, uh, almost five whole minutes. Uh, it is because this book, there's uh, some books in this book. They are made up of novellas. Did you I, read all of them? I, uh, they are pretty neat knitting novellas, in fact. It's quite alliterative. Three brand new stories from three New York Times bestselling authors. How were all three of these books, Nick? So this book starts off with Debbie McComber, the, the, definitely the, the star of the show show the headliner i thought for sure we had read a debbie mccomber book but i looked back and i couldn't find it i have i have not heard i don't know what you're what you're doing unless it's the knit cats or mm. no that was the, that was back when we used to try to name the episode but i know yeah so it might be the one that comes from the knit cats podcast uh but i i don't know what that one was uh each story begins with i'm assuming all three uh begin with a sort of you know how some books have recipes in them oh, this, this one, one has knitting. pattern this one has patterns and uh knitting is a is a particular language that i do not compre uh and so uh, I don't know what it was saying to do or what it would look like or how complex each one was versus Ooh. very simple. Uh, but it begins with a, a uh, recipe, I suppose you might say, a pattern. Uh, and you might be noticing, having looking at or having been looking at these pages now for several seconds, mm -hmm. that this is the largest print in the world. <laughs> Extremely large Which print. really did me good because as you can see from your end result, there are 530 yeah. plus pages in this book. And I read uh, most of them in two days uh, because wow. it, each one on a regular size, if this was on like a regular sized book with regular sized print, this would probably be under full 300 pages. For all three books that For you For all three novellas. Uh, that would probably be under 300 pages because they're all quite short. The first one by Miss McComber uh, is named The 21st Wish, and being a novella, it has to get away with a lot of exposition in a very short amount of time. Mm -hmm. uh, it's slightly longer than a short story, but not much. Uh, and so you get just so much exposition. There is a woman. Uh, she is a widow of a dead man who is already 20 years her, her senior. Uh, he was absent before he died. In fact, they had broken up. Uh, because when they got married, he had had a previous marriage, but when they got married, she said she didn't want kids. And then turns out she did kind of want kids. And so this argument wasn't going anywhere. So she had moved out to a tiny little apartment and then he died, but she kept living in the tiny little apartment cause it was just her. But then she met a, a small elementary girl through volunteering at a local elementary school to give her, her meaning, her life meaning, uh, while she was, uh, kind of going through it. Uh, and then she adopted that small little girl because that small little girl's single mother addict died. Uh, and then the grandma that she was living with in foster care died. And then uh, our, our person adopted her uh, because she already knew her from the elementary school thing. 
How many pages of exposition uh, is this? I think three. That's like a fairly significant portion of this novella. That's uh, a lot of exposition. Yeah. Uh, but it happens all before. So she, it begins with them trying to move out of this small apartment uh, because the daughter, it's just not enough room. And then the daughter doesn't want to go, but turns out she goes or whatever. Uh, naturally, she works in a store. The main protagonist works a in a store. Stop, it is not. Not. She is a client of our particular knitting store. Mm, is it a like a secondhand clothing store? It is not. Come on, go back to the well. A coffee shop. It's a bookstore. A bookstore. Okay. To Jeez. be fair, that probably would have been my next guess. Uh, she has the foster daughter who is 10 uh, in the story, was adopted, I think, less than years ago, maybe just over a year, but under two, uh, and is already just always counting her, calling her mom and my mother and this sort of stuff. And I'm like, hey, great for that relationship. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would happen that fast that it's like my mother. Like, it's one thing to be like, hey, mom, how's it going? And yeah. like, this woman is my mother. Yeah. feel like two different statements. And she's 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 holding the horse. And basically what I think has happened is not only does the story need to be nice and uplifting. And so the uh, at this point, orphan girl is, is finding a home. But also, if it's not an orphan girl who's been adopted, then at some point, our main character has had a had previous relationship that produced children. And now she's thinking about getting into another one. And that's, oh. you know, I don't know. Clutches um, pearls. She, at one point, uh, the somebody says, this is called the 21st wish. They, uh, a lot of people in the story have 20 wishes. They wrote them down. And one person says, quote, you can cross finding a house off of your list of 20 wishes. Um, Which I think is a little on the nose as a coconut hitting you in the face. <laughs> but we continue. Uh, so they find the house. They move. Uh, it is the dad of the foster daughter. He was an addict and was an alcoholic when he had her uh, and then broke up to go to rehab from the mom uh, and cut her out of his life as a like, hey, that's a road back to my addiction or whatever. And so he was ignoring her calls and her mail and so had not found out that he was a father to a baby until something, 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 and he finds out. So don't worry. He was a bad person. He was a piece of shit, but people can change, as I learned from the <laughs> Emmy-nominated Tim Robinson show, I Think You Can Leave. Uh, and so he's trying to get back into the life with the daughter through our uh, protagonist, and our protagonist is mildly attracted to him. But as we find out in some of that exposition, they had already tried to do this once, but then he was actually engaged to a woman he met at the AA meetings, but she became jealous of his relationship with the, the foster mother uh, by spending so much time with the daughter. And so when he told her that he was engaged with this woman, uh, she felt used and insulted and so kind of tried to break it off and pretend that she wasn't attracted to him, but then they stopped being engaged. This all is background to the story that's happening. So I can't tell if it's the book or if the Benadryl that I took is kicking in, but that just sort of... It's all... Settled it's, all over me. We start in media res, in the middle of a particular pattern, if you will, uh, and definitely don't have to pause the podcast to go deal with our woken up baby. Just kidding. We didn't even get up from the chairs because on the monitor, we just watched him put his own pacifier in and go back to sleep. So we have the most amazing baby in the world. And also, he's very cute. God, he's uh, so cute. Now I can't stop staring at the monitor. Try he's to, just so cute. If you can find us enough to add us on Snapchat, we'll send you pictures. Don't actually try, please. That's weird. We're not posting them on Twitter is the point. No. No matter or how Instagram. cute. Or Instagram. 
You have an Instagram? Yeah. Um. So that's all. I know you just, you took a Benadryl, but it's like that's all. At the by the time the book starts, this has all happened. She's now dating a sixty-year-old, fifty-ish-year-old man. How old is she? She's in her thirties. He's about twenty years her senior. Which the her first husband was also older than her, so she must have a thing. No, not really. People fall in love at all ages, and by the time you're uh, twenty, you can marry a guy who's forty. It's fine, kind of. Eh, late twenties. Yeah. Late twenties. Um, and so now she's dating this guy and it's your classic, well, there's not a lot of passion, but it's a good relationship kind of thing. Which as we know is the death knell to anything when you don't fight all the time. It's, I mean, how could anyone ever be happy in a relationship where they don't constantly have screaming matches with each other? It's like if I'm not trying to break through somebody's hard to get nature, do I really want to bone them? You yeah. know? Like a Taylor Swift song, you miss screaming and fighting and kissing in the rain. Sure. Um, but it, the way it's written, I well, actually, I'll get back to this later. The, the relationship does not actually seem that good, even though it's kind of like comfy. It's, it's not good. Um, but the problem with this book is, I'll get to what's going well. The problem with this book is, number one, it is just kind of boring and nice. Uh, but also, there's a lot of listening to gossip. Uh, which I fucking hate in my real life. Yeah. And then to read about people who I know won't be showing up again and are fictional. Yeah. It's, oh my God, I I, I hate it with the passion of a thousand sons. How do you um, feel about the po- the podcast Normal you Gossip? You know very well how I feel about it because I've only listened to two episodes and I hated both of them. I know. And you hated one of them. Yeah. What was the other one I listened to? Was the 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 one that we listened to in the car on the way home yesterday was just not good. And then there was another episode that we listened to. Now I'm gonna get them all mixed up. But you weren't sold on either one. But neither of those were particularly good oh, yeah. episodes. No true Scotsman. No true true gossip. What? No true Scotsman says if you try to define a Scotsman, I can always I can always cross off whatever you just said as not being the qualities of a real Scotsman. So you're like, well, that's not what the episode really is. You know, it's it's usually better than that. Okay, one of these days we'll dip back into an episode from season one because I really enjoyed season one. Anyway, I think the problem with the the first episode we listened to, and I can't remember what the story was, but the guest wouldn't shut the fuck up. Yeah, and it's like. I don't know, maybe that's misogynistic of me because both episodes were two women talking. But they kept like, oh, you mean... And they would ask a question and the host would have to be like, I'm going to fucking tell you. And it, I was like, just shut up and listen to the story. And so that's what... Uh, anyway. Yeah. You Our also p- just hate women, so... I know. I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, saying that, uh, this very obviously uh, book written for, for women uh, was not bad. Um... Let's see here. Long-winded backstory in only five pages. So here I am now done with the five pages. It is a solid three quarters of my way down the uh, page. And all of these notes are about that backstory that already exists by the time wow. we get Wow. Uh, I had to hear the gossip twice because the daughter missed out on it. And so the mom filled her in. Okay, that's just not a good use of yeah. your space when um, you're writing especially a novella. short story. And it, it, I feel like this informs a lot of how I play Dungeons and Dragons too, is that I love playing Dungeons and Dragons, but anytime my character has to talk to another person in character, if it's not about a problem that's directly in front of us, I'm always like, can we yada, yada, yada this shit? Yeah. Like, it should, it should be like, then they talked about subject yeah. and then we fast forward to the next thing, which is what should happen in every book and it doesn't. And I have to watch people talk about it. like, I can't believe they broke up. They seemed really good for each other. I'm like, these people don't matter. It's not part of the story or the lesson. Whatever. 
Um, but part of the story and the lesson of both of the books, and I'll talk about the other one here in a hot second, but both of them, this is, especially the first one, a pretty damn good thing to read if you are having trouble making good people be antagonists. Everybody okay. in here is a pretty good person, and they have they all have flaws, and they all are doing what they think is best and trying their hardest, and nobody is a cartoon, and nobody is a dick. It's good Yet, get this, they're in conflict with each other over various interests. Turns out, that's how people are I sometimes. Know. So if you, it's if, weird. If you need examples of like, hey, this person is a good person, but is doing the wrong thing in this situation, this one's pretty good. The, the boyfriend, the six-year-old boyfriend, uh, is a nice guy, very thoughtful, thinks of things ahead of time, uh, is kind of a little bit pushy about, like, having the answers. And I think it's, like, he's 60 years old yeah. and a dude. He has a lot of experience. Yeah, yeah. and so he, he will answer questions sort of tossed out to the group, but mainly for the girlfriend, the protagonist, and she hates it. She she always will answer whatever, like the opposite of what he answered, which is also kind of her fault is that she's very prideful and will answer anything, mm. uh, even if she doesn't believe it, just to prove that it's her decision and not his, yeah. which is a pretty good little little thing right there. Uh, our protagonist, uh, or our male protagonist, obviously struggles with addiction, which is not a, a you know, a, a moral failing, but a character failing. He, yeah. is, he is working against some issue. Uh, and then is also pretty quick to sort of turn tail and leave uh, instead of ever, like, actually figuring anything out. And it's it's a bad thing. It's not romantic. Okay. So that's good. Uh, and then they obviously fall in love, and the daughter parent traps her way into getting them married within 30 minutes of deciding they actually do like each other. Uh, the old boyfriend who she's worried about hurting his feelings keeps trying to go out with her and she's like oh i kept finding excuses because actually i was figuring out that i was falling in love with this other guy and i couldn't get him out of my head and that's not fair to the guy but i couldn't face i couldn't face a date with him and then they finally do go on a date and she finds out he's he wants to break up with her he wants he's to break up with yeah. her he found somebody else at the thing that uh happens during the move and yeah so they they Part amicably, which I thought was pretty great. They're yeah. like, hey, we gave it a shot, and I I like your daughter, and I like you as a person, but obviously this is going nowhere. Yeah. And so that's like, hey, nice. It's, it's yeah. the ideal breakup, yeah, it's honestly. A, it's it's a, just two people deciding we want different things. Yeah, and people. Yeah. There's yeah. no sex in this book, not even close. I think there's two kisses and not even much wanting. There's an electricity, mm. but not much wanting. Okay. That being said, with all those notes, here is everything from the second novella. Good. Named Coming Unraveled by Susan Mallory. Uh, once again, there is a, a uh, knitting pattern. It I is for a puppet. The patterns, the first one, it looks fairly straightforward. A child did it in the story. The second one looks insanely complicated. Yeah, uh, a, a high school boy wants to do it and she tries to talk him out of it. Yeah, insanely complicated. And then the third one looks probably the simplest of the three. Oh, well. Yeah. Uh, the book was also the simplest of the three. Mm, yeah, you have to tell me all about that third book. Mm -hmm. uh, this time, the Coming Unraveled is a uh, pretty cute, pretty straightforward, pretty nice little romance. Okay. And they were, the first one was a romance as well, but this one was pretty cute and pretty straightforward and did have boning in it. <gasps> it panned a little bit towards the fireplace. It's like if it panned towards the fireplace, but you could hear her having an orgasm. Uh -huh. You know, you can't see anything happening. It does mention uh, that 
precious pressure on her spot or whatever, like mentions her clit uh-huh. and that she came and that she he Naughty. drives he drives into her and sells between her legs or something like that. But it it doesn't get like the the crest of his cock hungered for her cream. Yeah, you didn't develop any word aversions yeah. after so reading I think this it was, book. It was about a pretty him. nice little thing for a fifty to sixty year old woman to get a little horny about. Uh, so we have a, a, a woman named Robin. Notice I didn't use any names from the first one because uh-huh. I forgot all of them. A woman named Robin who has come home to Texas from her uh, New York years. She wanted to be an actress on the, on, she wanted to tread the boards of Broadway uh, and couldn't make it happen and has been waitressing for years and couldn't get a break and has lost a bunch of weight. So she comes home and all the, the three women that operate the knitting store in town which includes her grandma because her mother has died Mm -hmm. i think uh combined these two stories might get a bingo on our thing but there's nothing supernatural which is why i didn't get the bingo out uh so her mother has died a long time ago she wanted to be an actress but had the daughter and then sort of was living vicariously through her and made her promise to never give up on her dreams or whatever uh dad is not was never in the picture so now she's back Back in Texas uh, with the two friends and her grandma, the two friends of her grandma. They're all old ladies. Uh, and she comes home and they're like, ooh, so chic, so skinny. You've got like a, a bob haircut and you're like model skinny. Mm-hmm. Like you must have been getting offers left and right and stuff like this. And, and they've she was made like, up actually, this, I'm really depressed. They made up this huge fiction about how she's just about to be on Broadway because, oh, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Yeah, you know? it's going. Uh, and then... Uh, she's like, no, I'm skinny because I couldn't afford to eat, like, type stuff. Uh, So she's been waitressing, living in a one-room nothing in New York. Uh, That old story, and has finally said, like, fuck it, I'm coming home because her her grandma's getting a knee replacement, and she wanted to help, and it's the best time to just be like, I'm done. So she sold, like, all her shit to buy grandma and the two friends gifts, like, ridiculously expensive gifts, but... I'm sure she just didn't want to move the shit home anyway, so whatever. And now that she's in town, there's this guy, TJ, who is a cowboy, old ma- cowboy that she walks into the knitting TJ, shop to hello. find. She's Why is like, TJ in the knitting shop? Well, TJ's in the knitting shop, and she's very surprised to find this. And we find out that a thing that almost made me stop reading uh, is that he was once married and got in a car accident, killing his wife and baby son. <laughs> and so I was like, Ooh, no. oh, God. Uh, and it's fine there's never too much about it it's just the same thing as it was before about regrets and wanting to move on and that sort of stuff so still awful and terrible still awful and bad wasn't wasn't good um but then he took up knitting because he had a physical therapist for his hands that was like go go knit and he didn't want to do it but then he went knitting and tried to hate it but couldn't help but fall in love with the three old women and now he's kind of their protector and so when our protagonist shows up he he thinks that she's been living on in new york on their dime this whole time Mm. Um, and is back to kind of mooch even more back home and she's this chic skinny new york new york city uh coastal elite yeah that's come here so we have we have reasonable uh i wouldn't say probable but you know explicable antagonism between our two skepticism Skepticism, of each other yeah yeah. and so it's not like your dad is or you're buying uh the biggest bookstore in new york city and my little bookstore is gonna fail which is still pretty cute. I like. Yeah. I like. So you've got mail, or you've got mail. Uh, I like it fine, but it's not like you murdered my dad. But actually, I love you. Like some books are. Yeah. Uh, and so over the course of the next I couple, think just that one weird mob book that you read. <laughs> yeah. 
over the next couple of pages, he finds out that she's legit, she's nice and kind, and she wants to gain weight because, heaven forbid, a woman be skinny, I guess. He, But, you know, it's kind of treading a fine well, line. Well, I do feel like if the reason that you lost all this weight is because yes. you couldn't she afford to She is choosing to. to. She eat, likes like, to. But it's still kind of like that. Eat a, someone literally tells her, like, eat a sandwich or whatever. So yeah, it's like, that's really yeah. Like, just maybe don't comment on other people's bodies. But if someone yeah. is like, hey, I am coming home because I was financially yeah. unstable. I would like a sandwich. That's so, a completely different yeah. story. So they go to a steak restaurant. And she eats a 22-ounce porterhouse and a baked potato and a bunch of bread and dessert. And he's like, wow, I like a woman who eats it. Oh, uh, I don't like that, uh, though. Yeah. And so she really enjoys her food. But whatever. Um, and so they, they start to talk it and they become mutually reliant on each other because grandma needs a lot of help with the knee replacement. And then it's just meet cutes over and over again. And so they start to like each other. Uh, and then it's very like the, the, also the conflict is very clear once they do like each other, like he feels guilty about wanting to move on from a, a previous relationship that he was very in love with his wife and it was a working relationship, but she died along with his baby. Um, <laughs> blech. um, and so they do it, and then he, he turns tail and goes because he's like, you know, post-nut clarity awash with guilt. Uh, you took that, yeah, real straight face. I was waiting for this particular face that you're making right now. <laughs> uh, and she gets a call to go back to New York because I got you in a play, and so there's our rush to the airport mo- moment. But it turns out there's no rush to the airport movement. Instead... During one of the uh, grandma friends' wedding to another 70-year-old man, which is like, Love that. That's cute. Uh, The not cute thing is that he's supposed to walk her down the aisle, which is pretty cute, and stops to talk to Robin, who is one of the bridesmaids, which is also pretty cute. And, like, people are, like, motioning him forward. He's like, no, I have to talk to her about this. Don't make this about you. And then uh, asks her to, uh, like, he's like, and then we can start going and I'm actually the CEO of a country music company and I'm like a millionaire or whatever. It's It's been established earlier in the book, okay. but she didn't know about it. Um, and then I want you to do this and be with me forever and get married and have kids. And she's like, let's talk about the marriage thing later. But yes, I am interested in this, which I thought was pretty good on her. Um, but it's like, yeah, once again, don't make it about you. Uh, yeah, this is literally someone else's wedding. Very, this well, is not the moment. Wedding. Still their wedding. So this did this book is a book of uh finely treading lines, which I thought is pretty ap- apropos for a knitting book, am I right? Mm, yeah. Um although it did have a couple convoluted threads, which is also uh-huh. apropos. Um however, it does tread a really fine line of like acceptable sexism. Like there were boys in a <gasps> knitting shop, which what? Yeah, I'd say that's an acceptable amount of sexism. Yeah. Knitting is a feminine hobby. One thing uh, that was funny about the second book is that uh, TJ reaches out and gets football players to come knitting because it improves their focus. And it's like, hey, I get what you're doing here, but football players take ballet classes is, is the pretty true uh, yeah, feminine true, thing. Like, footwork balance and balance. And yeah. And yeah, They don't take knitting to improve their focus. Folk, they could be doing crossword puzzles, whatever, and it's harmless. And then uh, they hosted like a middle school get in the community before you're an asshole teenager thing. And all the girls are kind of not into it, but start getting into it and like giggling about it. And all the boys are like, ugh. And then they bring in the football players from the high school to be like, yeah, bro, I knit. And so that's pretty, like, that's, that's so, pretty cute. That's so yeah. not real, but pretty cute. And so there's the 
there's some amount of like you know casual sexism to an, an appropriate or not appropriate but acceptable degree yeah uh and then this which i think very finely rides the line of acknowledging uh how naughty it just was without slut shaming so this is shortly after the sex scene Robin lay on the crinkled paper. They do it in the back room, and so they're just like on packing paper. Robin lay on the crinkled paper, feeling both a little slutty and very content. Her body was satisfied, her heart still pounding, and she was probably going to be sore in the morning. What more could a girl ask for? Uh And I think think you could do a lot worse than saying, feeling both a little slutty and very content. I think that's like, hey, that was pretty slutty, but I liked it. As as that one woman says in the outcast uh, interval. Fuck that I liked it, she says. Mm. Where are my panties? That's the name of the interval. The third book uh, was about some aliens uh, that come down to Earth and have this weapon that tangles knitting thread. It's one of the greatest threads, uh, excuse me, threats that the world has ever known as it applies to uh, knitting. Uh, wow, and so, Christina Sky really took this little trilogy in a very different yeah. direction. And then mm. there's a magical Christmas cat who manages to stab the mothership in the eye with a knitting needle uh, and wins forever. Yeah. Uh, and it's definitely not about uh, a devastating car accident and a letters to a Marine in Afghanistan. It was definitely about the alien. That's the book I read. Was that your favorite one? No, the second one was my favorite one. No, it was, it was okay. pretty good. That's good. I'm glad. Ah. So that's The Knitting Diaries. Definitely not a book to read when you have a lot of grading to do. Well. And only three days of a weekend to do it in. At least the font was big. At least the font was. Yours is so tiny. It's so <laughs> tiny. <laughs> I halfway wanted to like reach down with my fingers and do like a zoom in on an iPhone <laughs> motion to it. Oh no. It's just a little guy. I think it's as small as the like. The, it, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. The What's this called? The front cover thing the, the eve front i think flat, i just call it front, front flat, flat. Yeah. yeah so eve. when i first read the the front eve of this book <laughs> um i originally thought it was going to be quite the bibliophile book because yeah, so I. I thought that there's no way like not only is the central premise of this series not real, but it's not even realistic. It doesn't feel like it even could be real. Um, our main character is a professor at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and he works at a research facility at UT called the Body Farm, which is basically this, like, estate that they have where they will dump various dead bodies and let them decay Is this and the then that doesn't sound realistic to you yeah forensic it's real i know <laughs> so forensic scientists like budding forensic scientists and and academics yeah. who are studying these things can like basically see what would happen in real time so at first i was like well this isn't even like realistic there's no way a thing like that could exist <laughs> and then i find out that not only does it exist but one of the professors who started the body farm is one of the authors <laughs> so jefferson bass is the writing team of dr bill bass and john jefferson Dr. Bass, a world-renowned forensic anthropologist, founded the University of Tennessee's anthropology research facility, The Body Farm, a quarter century ago. Um, So critically acclaimed memoir and also author of more than 200 scientific publications. Um, And then, let's see, then... um, 
John Jefferson. There's not a whole lot written about Jingleheimer him. Jingleheimer Schmidt? He's a journalist and a writer, and he basically, like, helps make the story part of this go. Um, so, like, all of the ideas and the technical details come from Dr. Bass, but John Jefferson sort of makes it a book, a, a book right? With characters. Um, and Hopefully. I'm going to be honest... It's pretty good. Yeah, I don't think that I, I briefly I like looked to see if the library had the other books in the series. Um, and I briefly thought about reading other ones, ultimately decided not to. I'm not that invested in the characters, but I was not mad about having to read this. All right. But let's give me a little credit. This came from a big tub of books that was headed to the shredder because my library apparently has too many books and has to make more room for CRT, mm. LGBT, RT books. Well, when you have too many books, it can spoil too the broth. Too many books? <laughs> Damn it. Um, so I just want to I want to make myself feel better that this was a, a reasonable choice. Dr. Bill Brockton is in the middle of a nuclear terrorism disaster drill. That's mm-hmm. pretty good. When he reserves an, uh, receives an urgent call from the nearby town of Oak Ridge, better, um, papa, mau, mau, uh, better known as the Atomic City, home of the bomb and a key site for the Manhattan Project during World War II, Ames also served uh, Ames, Iowa. Although I would analyze it more as Los Alamos is the key, the key site for the Manhattan Project, yeah. but whatever. Although more than 60 years have passed, could repercussions from that dangerous time be still felt today? All right, you know, we're getting there. And then I read, with his graduate assistant, Miranda Lovelady. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I don't think I read the rest of it. Or uh, there's also a beautiful, enigmatic librarian. Uh, I so. was very nervous that Miranda was going to be the love interest because... A of all, I don't love the idea of like a professor and his graduate assistant being the romantic couple. That's some weird power yeah, dynamic. Yeah, but she's over 18, bro. But also the fact that I was like, if her, if she's the female love interest and her last name is Love Lady, that's bad. She's not. She's just like his grad assistant and his friend. Hey, but the last time I, I enjoyed a piece of fiction with the name Miranda, she had a huge ass. Um, I actually, that was funny because I, at the beginning was like picturing her as Miranda from Mass Effect. Um, so the one thing that was sort of interesting to me about this book is last summer I read a book called Atomic City Girls, which was about Oak Ridge. Um, and so like the setting was familiar to me. I do think that's like pretty interesting to think about like and this book talks about it too like basically this city was created from scratch overnight yeah um and and this kind of dealt with like what happens to that afterwards when it's no longer needed as a you know wartime facility like what happens to that place afterwards the same question of most of ohio (laughs) um well i don't know that anyone really cares what happens in ohio so um, but it like the setting was really interesting. You could tell that um, both of the authors, but I'm assuming especially the professor, like really took the time to get the details right and like I do their so. research about it. And so it like it it oh, was very interesting. About the town. Yeah, details okay. about the town. So um, overall, I mean, I'm not going to go too deep into the plot, but overall, I found it really interesting. I thought it was well-paced. It was well-written. I, and I think it's just because this is book, like, four or five. Like, I I didn't feel like I really got to know the main character. I did not feel particularly invested, but 
not in any sort of like this is terrible writing kind of way. It just like wasn't are you for saying, me. Are you saying that the professor of forensics uh, described his main character quite clinically? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um, but there is one thing. So at the very beginning, they find a body. Um, and wait, can I ask what is the person doing? Like what law and order scene is happening as he finds the body? Is he talking to someone on cell phone about like his draft king's picks or something? He doesn't find the body. He gets called to come like be there to help get the body out because the body is frozen in a swimming pool. So it's been there for a while yeah. to be frozen into. Yeah. Ooh, this is a little spicy because the freezing process probably throws off the timeline a little bit. A little bit. It sure does. But also what killed this guy <gasps> um, was he had in his intestinal tract a little tiny pellet that was like super radioactive. And so not only did it, was it kill the person, but also like the radiation from this little pellet that was in the guy also did a lot of damage to um, the protagonist and his graduate assistant who were there during the autopsy, but especially to the doctor who's performing the autopsy. Mm-hmm. And so then you kind of throughout the book, you're kind of dealing with the fallout of like what's going to happen ah. to Dr. <laughs> Oops. Um, what's going to happen to Dr. Garcia? What's going to happen to Miranda? Our main character gets the least amount of radiation exposure. Miranda's hands blister because she touched the pellet directly. And so like her fingertips blister. Um, The doctor gets put in isolation because his, uh, like the radiation basically kills all his bone marrow. And so he's super susceptible to infection. I was going to, I was worried you're going to say that he became uh, contagious for radiation. No, they were very clear that like people were nervous. Like like, there was a nurse that didn't want to treat this patient (laughs) because she was like, well, I don't want to get sick. And so they were like trying to explain to her like, that's not how any of this works. Yeah, he did not become Um, radioactive. But it did kill all his bone marrow. So now he's super susceptible to infection. So like they have to be really careful with him. And so the whole time you're like sort of trying to figure out like, but what's going to happen to Dr. Garcia? Uh This is not the last book in the series. And so you don't find out. (gasps) He is um, almost assuredly going to lose his hands. Like the tissue is necrotizing. Gross. Um, And so it was like that added a lot of suspense. Then you're trying to figure out like who killed this man. He was a man in his 80s. He had been one of the head scientists at Oak Ridge. Um, during World War Two, <gasps> the Ruskies, and then uh, our main character winds up meeting this man's ex-wife, also in her late eighties. Um, the gorgeous librarian? No, she <laughs> she's a different character. Oh, okay. The threads all tie together at the end, but overall, like it was a it was a good story. I enjoyed it. There were a couple things that were you know a little problematic, a little weird. So I I do have a couple things that I'm gonna read. Um, this is just like a weird description of a character. This is a guy from the FBI who gets sent down to help the case. Thornton was tall and lanky, six foot two maybe, and tipping the scales at around 190, possibly 200, since he seemed to be carrying some lean muscle on his frame. That's not, okay. His sandy hair was cut short, but it appeared to contain some styling gel and some color highlights and some attitude. Then there was the tie. He wore one, but he wore it loosely, like it was an afterthought or an ironic commentary, like he might take it the rest of the way off any minute. The tie was printed with an abstract design that was either the work of an artistic genius or a second grader. The guy was (laughs) almost a cop, but not quite. 
too metrosexual, if I understood the term right. I suspected some of his more buttoned-down FBI colleagues regarded his wardrobe with mistrust. I'm like, I don't think we use the phrase metrosexual anymore. Wow, when was this published? I think that's a that's a pretty... I don't know. Obviously, uh, it's a little gay panicky, but... Yeah. I think overall... 2009. Eh, all right. Yeah. That doesn't exactly clear the wee house. If it wasn't for that last comment, that's a pretty good description of a guy. No, it is. It, it was that last comment, though. Yeah. And then there was, like, he talks about how men are more partial to, gu- like, making generalizations about murder. Um, men are more partial to guns as their murder weapons. Women seem to prefer knives or poison. I knew ah, that a classic woman's weapon. I knew that homosexuals often engaged in overkill, excessive and shocking violence, far beyond what was needed to end a life if murdering a partner. Like crimes of passion, little, baby. That's a little intense, though, man. Um, so just like some weird one-off comments like that that were just a little like I don't but know also, that this was necessary. It's the at same. All? I think it's the same thing as when people are described as male. Like, oh, uh, I I love females. And yeah. Like, are you an alien? The use of the word homosexual instead of like gay people. Yeah. I think made that worse. I think so too. Um, then I don't know, at as a one gay point, man, I can really speak to this. Yeah. This is something that um just felt really unnecessary. The professor got uh two of the junior faculty in the department complained to the dean about him. Um, they told he the dean... He won't stop writing novels. They told the dean in no uncertain terms that race is a social construct, not a physical trait. They demand that you cease yeah. all references to the three races of man, which is sexist too, they say, in your classes. And he talks about how, like, they, like, in their field, they talk about, like, um, when talking about, like, classifying bones specifically, they classify them as Asian, African, or Scandinavian. Um, and so he's, like, defending himself that there are, like, physical traits and that race is not just a social construct. The thing about it is that it's just really unnecessary. Like, they yeah. never come back to that. There just seemed to be no real reason to have that a there. A very pulpit moment. Yeah, yeah, it was weird. Don't you hate it when kids try to act up and act all uppity? Um, They are throughout this. They they figure out that back at Oak Ridge, there was a Russian spy during the war. Of course. Um, they're trying to figure out who it is. It turns out it was Beatrice, the guy who died's ex-wife. Um, and when our main character is confronting her and talking to her about it, um, he says, why didn't you go to Russia after the war? Surely you could have found a way to get there. She said, Russia? Why on earth would I want to live in Russia? I was a spy, not an idiot. Um, and oh, yeah, so, you sell secrets. You yeah. don't give them. And so they're, like, I would say the, like, extended characters, the not main characters, but the secondary ones, were really good. It was just, like, sort of our main trio that I think because I launched into book five. Why'd you do that? Um, Just didn't feel like I had the most interest in. Um, But overall, it was, I thought it was really good. I enjoyed reading it. Who did it? Was it the wife? So it wasn't the wife. That's too obvious. No, it wasn't the wife. It was the librarian. <gasps> yeah, because she, she wanted she wanted to get back at Leonard Novak for his role in the bomb because her great grandmother was killed at Nagasaki. Ah, see, I almost made a joke about. I'm pretty sure it'll be a Japanese person, and then it was a quarter Japanese. All right. Yeah. Um. So again, 
Overall, I thought it was well-written. It was well-paced. It was interesting. My main critique at the beginning was like, this is such a ridiculous concept. There no, there's no way a place like this would actually exist. Not only does it exist, but the guy who created it wrote the book. Yeah. So, yeah, it was all right. Not terrible. Damn it. Right. Yeah, well, we're gonna have to try again. We'll have to try again. Although you have already gotten me two two books, and I one did. of them is a collection of four novels. So I'll read three of I those. I think I'm gonna wait a little bit on that one. I might wait until closer to the holidays because it is Christmas themed. Since when has that mattered? Um, but they are both either by or featuring an artist or an author named Fern Michaels. So that I think you'll be reading the other one for next time, the uh. Fern Michaels rom com. I don't I, remember what it's called. I tried really hard to make a joke out of that and couldn't. Oh, I thought like, you were looking at me like you wanted me to say the title no, of it. I'm I was, like, I, I don't was trying really hard. I, that's not like a, that's the name of my band. That's not like a, coming this fall. Like I couldn't figure out what joke to make and I froze. Yeah. I'm sorry. The Benadryl you you took is infecting me. It probably is. That sounds right. Yeah. Speaking of good medical advice, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Dickie Ma or you can follow the podcast at Bibliovile. You can find me on Twitter at Susan J. That's S with three U's S A. And Jay, the intro music to our podcast is I Almost Said Babe of the Night by the Band Elixir off of their album Rampant. That's still gone. Um, it is the song Oh Yeah, 360 Degrees by Propeller Heads off of their album Dex and Drums and Rock and Roll. Good night, Michelle. <laughs>